Welcome to episode four of the VR Side Chats podcast. This week I chat with VR cinematographer and director Chris Bedick of Perspective Films. Hope you enjoy. So Chris, thank you for thank you for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. So yeah, could could you sort of tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into 360 video? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a traditionally a cinematographer, so I've been doing that for now 18 years. And about 2013, I got a phone call just out of the blue because I do time lapse as well. And uh, he was calling about 360 video, but not the way we think about it today. It was more of it just it was just by chance. It was an accident. So we had a quick chat. What he was interested is um, getting content created for domes. And at that time, it was March of 2013, and Oculus, I think, had just started delivering the Div 1 kits out to those people that purchased on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. So I started digging and going, well, this is, this is interesting. Hey, this, I can, I'm into this. And I guess that really was kind of the ignition point for me, just by that weird coincidence. Um, you know, it was somebody local here in Vancouver that contacted me. So that was really the, the, the starting point. And from then I started, you know, I was inquisitive about what was going on with Oculus and sent them an email actually. and showed them a little project I did called In Motion. It was a, just a traditional time-lapse video, but I built a little tiny robot that sort of cruised around the Peony here in Vancouver, which is like a little carnival with rides and uh, the swings and all the stuff you see at a carnival at nighttime. So it was long exposure photography that I put, uh, you know, 5,000 photos and put it into a uh, moving time-lapse. So if you go into my Vimeo, you can see that. I that to Oculus and they're excited by the possibilities of what you can do with what I did. And um, I joke and I said, well, if you want me to work on this, you need to send me some money. And <laughs> I'd be glad to help out because they were really pretty much encouraged me to continue to start building cameras that would do that in 360. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. So I spent a little bit of time on my own, just uh, creating uh, 360 cameras using SLRs. And obviously, you know, when you're kind of swathing the, the new trail, there was a lot of problems from the very get go. And even the small details like camera uh, cable links can make a big difference in how. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me some time. I think I, the first shoot I did took me 15 tries to get a first successful 360 photo, never mind video. Um, that was back in 2014, I believe. So early 2014, I started experimenting. And I was really just spending a lot of time building cameras. I, I guess I was kind of like the carpenter who was trying to build the chisel and the hammer so he can make the shelves. Because at that time, there was no Ozo. There, I think 360 which they've changed their name now to uh, something else. Uh, I think it's called Rise 360. At that time, they were pretty much the only company on the block that had any options for cameras. So I was kind of hacking a bit of their system and, and, and building before they even had the, those little bullet triggers to simultaneously record cameras. I was building little control boxes so we control all the, the GoPro rigs, the GoPro cameras to make one rig. 2014, I headed off to Brazil just before the World Cup, and I was doing some testing. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the the TV, the movie from Brazil called City of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guys that did the behind the scenes, I somehow got connected with them. So I was basically sleeping in their production office for five days in Sao Paulo, Brazil, 
um, started getting my cameras ready and, and we we're doing some tests for Nike, you know, just started trying it out in the heat and mm-hmm. there was obviously some heating, overheating issues, but really it was 2014 was just sort of a testing phase and development phase and prototype phase for me. I built a few 360 cameras like that. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of my bit of my journey and around uh, September was the very first Oculus conference and I, I was fortunate enough to attend that. I think at that time there was only 10, 11 people that I met that were really interested in using VR for 360 video. The rest were all gamers. And the really cool thing, were you there by chance? Uh, no, sadly not. I wished. This was like a bit before that uh, I kind of got into it. Yeah, it was. A, it's a really cool, and that's why I like this industry and where it's all heading is because everyone is really, you know, most people that I meet are on the same page of, mm-hmm. of excitement levels. And the feeling we got at the conference was that this is, we're, on, we're at the beginning stages of something, you know, the way we were describing it is, um, you know, changing the world possibly. That's sort of the feeling we got, whether that really comes true or not, you know, with all the possibilities of health. We just It was just a level of excitement that was really um, quite, just something I was really interested in. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. So Oculus happened and and I still kept on building cameras and testing and all that stuff and was experimenting. There was the Oculus Jam that I threw a little project in there called Memory Lane that I'm, I'm going to eventually get that done because it just uses so many different types of cameras that are even, aren't even available yet. Um, 2016, I helped the Vancouver Canucks create their very first 360 VR video with one of the GoPro systems that I hacked together and it, and it turned out quite well and they were quite happy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I watched that earlier. It was really good. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, it's again, what's really nice about sort of being at the beginning stage is that these small things really get you excited. And, mm. and what I mean by that is that I purposely raised the camera in the dressing room of the Vancouver Canucks to see that if height changed the perspective mm-hmm. the perception when people put on the headset, and the answer I found was, yeah, absolutely. You know, there are people who are putting on the headset and, you know, for example, there was a, cause I, you know, go to conferences and I show people this stuff. There was a woman who was about five foot four and she put on the headset and she almost fell over going, Oh my God, I'm taller than dad. <laughs> and I was at the Whistler uh, film, the Whistler film festival back in 2015, 2016. I can't remember. And the, the program Head, uh, who chooses all the movies, he also got a little bit of vertigo from that same video, but oh my God, I'm taller. So that's when I started to realize that, you know, composition and and height included actually affect how people react to what they're seeing. Yeah. That was a good, good takeaway from the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, yeah, so that happened. And then 2016 uh, was a great year because right after that, I was connected with a company out of China who they also were interested in building headsets called Idea Lens. Mm-hmm. And they greenlit the little passion project I had called VR Wonders of the World. And we were, I was able to utilize the 360 SLR cameras that I had built. Um, so, yeah, that was, that, that was intense because we got greenlit and we had, I, had, I had 24 hours to build a second camera. So I basically ran to the... So, you know, to the camera shop nearby and luckily I know the manager and said, can I get all this stuff? And I basically, before we left, I made one full five camera 360 time-lapse rig 
that hadn't even been tested. In fact, I made a, a track as well that hadn't even been tested as well. So I was kind of, you know, crossing my fingers, hoping everything would work in minus 30. And so, you know, leading up to the date we left, which was April 1st, 2016, we were looking at all the websites to make sure that, you know, cause this, this was the Aurora Borealis uh, episode. So if anyone, anyone hasn't seen it, VR Wonders is really just a travel series that takes people to the most incredible places on the planet to really help reconnect people with the planet and, and maybe a little bit with themselves as well. So that sort of really was the goal is just to, to help people reconnect with the planet and, and yeah. you know. And it's beautifully short, I add. You think? As well, it, I watched it earlier. It's, yeah. It was phenomenal. I'm kind of married to it. I put a, you know, it's, it's one of those passion projects where I, as the hockey players say, I put 110% in. I, I really, did, uh, you know, try and put as much as as I could into it. And yeah, it was one of those projects that I got a little lucky in terms of the weather turned out fantastic for the Aurora Borealis. So if you haven't seen it and you get a chance to see it, we have a, a app that everyone can go take a look at as well, Perspective Films. Uh, on the Google or Apple, and you guys could take a look there. But back to sort of when everything was happening, we were you know, in pre-production phase leading up to the April 1st uh, takeoff because uh, we were going to jump on a, on a plane. I actually hadn't even received my, my down payment yet, so I was kind of freaking out building a camera and not even getting the first deposit yet. Cause, yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of stress going on, but you know what? Looking back now, it was one of those things where I, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Mm. And, uh, leading up to it, the NASA uh, readings were saying that because it gives you sort of a three-day weather forecast of the solar flares coming from the sun that's going to hit the the atmosphere where we were, we were going to be. And they rated out a nine. And what we were seeing for the two, three months leading up to this was two and a half, three as an average out of nine. Yeah. At 2 p.m. on Thursday when we got our deposit, it was telling us it was going to be eight out of nine. So we were quite, ex, you know, excited about that. And day one, we were, when we shot that night, when we flew up, we we're a little disappointed because it was zero light. It was complete darkness. Uh, but on day two, it was the complete opposite. It was exceptional. It was The sky was lit up for about six and a half, seven hours. It was one of those things that really, I, I, I don't know if it really translates because you can actually, if you pay close attention it almost seems like you can hear the gases crackling. It just, it just, just, have you ever done it? Have you actually experienced the real? Uh, no, no. That's that's one of the things on my bucket list. Um, yeah. Along along with going to Iceland anyway. So if, yeah, if I was going to say anywhere, I'd say it there. But it's 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 one of those things where you could go for a, I don't know a, a, a weekend or a week, and then not see it. It's kind of like luck of the draw. Um, it seems to be over there. So. Yeah, hopefully one day. Yeah, I'd highly suggest if, it, if it's on your bucket list, you know, mm. I think the from August to April every year is the, the time to do it. You want to get there when there's more light. So, you know, you know, I think the winter months are probably ideal. By, by mid-April, this, you know, the days are changing. You probably wouldn't get a chance to see much of the northern lights. But it's quite, you have to see it quite spectacular. Yeah. Um, so, you know, during that whole process, we froze our fingers off uh, at minus 30. I wow. we broke power cables in half. So I was in the middle of this 
going running to Canadian Tire, which is kind of like a hardware store to buy, you know, double A batteries to try and solder and that didn't work. So it was a lot of hacking broken cables together because it was just that cool. And yeah, so we went from one extreme to another. So we went from minus 30 up near Yellowknife, Canada to plus 50 in the Grand Canyon in June. There was an extreme heat warning. So we did, as a crew, have some challenges going out to the Horseshoe Bend, which is a three-quarter of a mile walk. We had to, because of the time that we were, you know, some days were 15, 16-hour days of shooting. So we had to bring car batteries to power the cameras. And we talk about challenges and enduring the environment. I had, I had about three of the crew members had um, suffered heat stroke at the Horseshoe Bend. And I had to walk three quarters of a mile back with two car batteries and no water. So, yeah. So hopefully people really enjoy it. We went through, <laughs> through and when we got back to do post on it, I had six, at this point, I'm an Apple guy. I had six IMAX, custom IMAX, running for about three weeks trying to do post on them. Because wow. we had used, we had shot raw the whole time. You know, single photo is 80 megabytes. So times that by five times, we were doing 60 frames a second. So a lot of data. Yeah, so it took, took, some, took some time to stitch. So that's sort of the, the VR wonders um, thing that happened for, for our company. So is that was that a project that had been in your head for for a while before you even got into the whole 360 stuff? Yeah, is that something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, I think like most creatives, there's you know there's a lot of influence around you. I've always been interested in time lapse, and I, I think the conversation I had with Oculus was really motivational, and because they were encouraging me to sort of push the envelope, so to speak. So there was a project that I. Um, I did see on Vimeo, somebody did a, a time-lapse called Ghost Towns. And I, I don't, I think it might've been in Boise, Idaho. So that really made it, that was sort of the the spark for the, the, the VR wonders. And I don't know if you've seen Baraka. Uh, no, not yet. Okay, the VR wonders, you know, credit to, to Baraka and Tom Lowe, who did a 45-minute time-lapse called Timescape. I was trying to not mimic or copy, but trying to sort of expand upon Baraka. If you haven't seen it, I highly suggest you do. It's an exceptional movie that has no dialogue, and it's really just a reflection on man and the environment. So it was really kind of take off of that. So I've had it in my, to answer your question, I've had it in my brain for about five years prior to even shooting it. So it's been sitting there and mulling around for a little bit. It's taken its own shape and form. Uh, I, I, for example, the music I thought would be canned music on all of them. And for the very first one, Northern, the, the Aurora episode, I actually, you know, put the word out on Craigslist to find some musicians. I wanted to give a shot at some custom music. Oh, yeah. I wonder is really a uh, little bit of a takeaway I had from the 2015 Oculus conference, talking to some of the people there that, you know, 360 video doesn't have the value like games do. And my suggestion would be, well, can I, can I, would it make 360 videos more valuable if we customize it? Meaning if you're watching the Northern Lights episode and you can customize your experience. So say you come home from a hard day at work, you just want to Zen out and you pop in some, some nice calm music and you, you know, hit a button on, you know, in our case, it'd be an app 
And, you know, so it's really more of a customizable. So I wanted to experiment with what that would look like. So I did try in the very first one, some custom music. So if you listen to it, that's actually uh, Michael Simpson Ellie's work here in Vancouver, where we just sat in his recording studio. He literally popped on the headset and put a guitar in his lap. And between the cracks of the Samsung Gear VR and his guitar, he actually followed the lights and tried to play his music to the lights. Oh, wow. I don't know if you can. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know if that really translates. Or, I think it translates, but I don't think most people know that. Yeah. Uh, if you actually pay attention to how the light dances in the sky, it, it does match the music. And sort of the instruction I gave him is because I'm a Pink Floyd fan is can you, you know, here's a track of one of their songs as inspiration. Mm-hmm. Take that inspiration and, and feel the, for lack of a better word, the stars and the space and convert that into the equivalent of what music would be. So I tried him, I, tr- I want him to match the music to, to the visuals as, as best yeah. as he could with what I gave him. And I think he did a, an incredible job considering he yeah, yeah. every single instrument. That's him. Yeah. What, what um, SLRs did you use to shoot, shoot on them? So the first prototype I built used the Mark three. Okay. And the, the one I built just before we left to the, the Northern Lights episode was the SR, the Canon SR. Mm-hmm. Mark three is I think 22 megabytes or megapixel, the SR is something ridiculous, like 50. So the, the file sizes were different. So the one thing I noticed was that one camera did perform a little bit better in the dark mm-hmm. and the other one was the, the Mark III. Because uh, I, I don't think I'll ever have, you know, I'm not sure how how quickly headsets are going to advance, but I'm not sure if the capacity, the, the resolution that we can pull from the SR is actually going to pay for itself maybe in 10 years because it's so... So large, but yeah, that's the camera. Oh, awesome! Um, going back quickly to your work with the Vancouver Canucks, um, how did you did you approach them like about about doing that? Uh, did they come to you? Or? This is going to sound I don't know how this. Anyways, I'll just tell you the story. I uh, I'll just sort of tangent slightly. That's right. The only reason I ask is so I did a I did a. Um, like a 360 shoot for a basketball team in London a few weeks back. Oh, cool. And I, I just reached out to them and they were like, yeah, yeah, fine. You know, we'll, we'll stick you on the press list and stuff like that. But because it's not a massive sport over here, yeah. it was, it was sort of fairly easy to get in. Whereas when I reached out to sort of larger sports teams, I just got no reply. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the story behind that is, and this sound, this, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I, I was getting a little frustrated with reaching out to companies and I, you know, no one really quite understood what the three, the value of 360 video or anything like that. I've, I saw this guy talking about, you know, jumping on a soapbox and just talking to the city, which sounds so bizarre. I understand, but I literally was in my bedroom and I ran through what the suggestions were and I go, hello, Vancouver. I really want to do a three season. And I just did this whole little spiel to myself in my bedroom, which sounds really weird, but the odd thing was is that five days later, I had a new Twitter follower and I looked at it and the person I was looking for at the Vancouver Canucks guy, actually my little you know chat to myself, I said, I'm looking for the Vancouver Canucks and it's probably going to be somebody who's a director of video or something like that. And oddly enough, I got a, a new Twitter follower and I'm looking, it was uh, somebody I went to school with and I go, oh, I wonder what's he doing these days? And I look and it says Vancouver Canucks, director of content. 
crazy. And I go, come on. <laughs> this this can't really. All right, cool. And I just sort of sent him a, a DM and, and told him what I was doing. And he got excited. And we had a little meeting with their marketing team over there. And they said, hey, you know, it's there are there are some challenges to the shoot. And we're going to, you know, climb over those barriers and make it happen. It's a win-win. And yeah, so that that's sort of my interesting story of how I got in the door, just sort of by chance through uh, through Twitter, actually. That's, that's really cool. And is like by doing that video, is that what led to like doing work with the BC Lions as well then? Uh, BC Lions was was a little bit, so the Canucks was sort of the springboard for for kind of everything. The you know, the VR wonders of the world, you know, Ideal Lens. So I met with those with those. Um, there, there's a company here in Vancouver that's connected to Ideal Lens. So we had a nice little sit down meeting, and I showed them the Vancouver Canucks. So the Vancouver Canucks really kind of helped get the VR wonders going because it instilled some trust that I knew what I was doing, and I, I work in the film industry already, so. I showed us some other things I've worked on. So the Vancouver Canucks was kind of a springboard for VR Wonders, and that was able to be seen on their headset in their head, headset launch in Tokyo and in Beijing. But, uh, yeah, sorry, I sidetracked what your question was there. Oh, the BC Lions, sorry, yeah. So how that, so I don't know if you've heard, but there is a summit coming here, the ARVR Summit in, in September, that really started, I think it was in 2016, I believe, or maybe in 2015, but it was it was called CVR, Consumer uh, VR Conference. And I was the only company there for the very first one. And the second one, there was, I think, two or three companies. And during the last one that it happened, somebody walked by with a BC Lions jersey. I literally walked onto the floor at this conference from my booth tapped him on the shoulder, looked at him and said, you have to come and see this. <laughs> and he looked at me and goes, I'm in, let me see it. So he's got one of those, you know, those leather BC Lions jerseys that, you know, it was obviously somebody from the, uh, the management or administration he goes, I'm the guy you're looking for. Let's do this. So his name was Tyler Wilson. He sat down and I actually uh, ran him through the BC Lions and all the stuff I had done. And he got extremely excited. He goes, this is what I've been looking for. I was about to leave. I'm glad you tapped me on the shoulder. So it was just one of those things where I just just happened to see him and had enough, uh, I don't know, confidence. Just to, <laughs> you got to you got to see this. I know <laughs> I know you're gonna love it. And next, yeah, next week I showed up at the BC Lions facility, walked me through everything, and we had a conversation of sort of what we wanted to achieve. And there was an AR component and the 360 component, and a company called Radical IO uh, helped with the creation of the app. So we partnered with them previous to the, this conference and been working quite extensively with helping them get the app up and running. You know, I've been helping them with the con- providing content. They've helped me with creating the app to the level that I want and the reason why I want an app versus push, putting it in an Oculus or any of these other ecosystems, which are great as well. But I, I have sort of an idea in mind of what I want to do with it. So, you know, we, we all, it was a really strong team effort. There was a company out there called Quest Upon as well, which helped with the AR and, you know, we had the launch, you know, I think it was June 24th with the, I think it was Saskatchewan Rough Riders was the very first, first game. And I, I've shot a lot of sports in the past for TSN, the, the sports network, which is like ESPN in the States. So I have, a, I have a lot of sports experience. I've actually shot postseason with Canucks and Indy and all that stuff. So I already had a background and kind of knew 
where to put myself and where not to put myself. Um, but I, the first game, I remember I was so excited and jazzed about being there. And you're not supposed to run on the field, but the BC Lions got a touchdown. And I ran out in the field. And the ref <laughs> tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, what are you doing? He tried to pull me up. And he looked at me and he laughed. He goes, oh, you're the 360 guy. Yeah, you should probably go on the sidelines. Like, sorry, man. I just I lost my mind for a second. I got Because I really – we had sponsors on board at that point. So I was really mm-hmm. trying to capture the excitement of being down at, you know, ground – ground level fans because I know how important it is for the fans to feel connected to the team. Every sports franchise, I'll tell you that. They go, the season ticket holder is is the most important thing in the franchise. Without it, there is no sports franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And I know sports teams like the Canucks go out of their way to connect with the community, to help the community. I know the Sedins were really, and a lot of the players, you know, I'm getting back to the Canucks and even the beast and same with the BC Lions. They really do a lot of community service and trying. It's, it's kind of that community pivot point. Yeah. The water cooler. It's, it's really, I think sports is so necessary. And that's why I felt really compelled to help the sports teams, at least in the town I'm in right now. And, uh, I'm originally from Edmonton and sort of want to spread that love, so to speak. So yeah, so the, it's really important, and and watching the reaction of the really, I mean, hardcore fans. I mean, the guys who have had season tickets for twenty five years for the BC Lions. I was at a conference not that long ago, and somebody came up to me, and obviously a BC Lions fan, and he looked and he goes, "Are you the you're the guy?" And I go, "What do you, what do you mean?" And he wearing a BC Lions hat. He had a BC Lions jersey, and this is at a school education, um, you know, type of seminar conference thing. So it was. It was not a sporting event and he was full on, you know, socks were probably BC Lions as well. And he was just so excited. Oh, thank you so much. Cause you know, I was in the dressing room with, and he listed off a bunch of football uh, players. He's a big fan of. So the excitement level of, of what I wanted people to feel obviously translated to the people that are the hardcore fans. And when you excite the core fan, that just, you know, emanates from them to everybody they know and their excitement is spread. And that's really what I wanted to accomplish with the app and the content was really reigniting the fans. Cause I think a lot of fans, you know, in, in Vancouver in particular, there's a lot of people who jump on and off the the bandwagon, so to speak. And I, and, I, and there are, you know, Saskatchewan Rough Riders have these incredible fans, no matter if they win or lose, they're the, they're the hardcore fans that will travel across Canada to watch their team play. So I really wanted to create that type of fan for the guys that are the, the ladies that may not have that personality. Cause once you meet somebody or feel like you've met somebody, you've been in the dress room, it's a different, different atmosphere. Yeah, you may actually feel some compassion when they're down their luck and you're in the dress room and you, you see that they're actually trying to give it 110%. So, you know, as the saying goes, there's a, there's a different level of empathy that goes on. And we use empathy a lot in, in this industry, but it was a case study where I found out that it was true that the creation of the three, the through 360 video that people have been seeing the energy and the emotion was getting across to the fans. And that, that that's when I knew it worked. And that's when I was like, I knew it. And I, and I go, now where, where do we go from here? That's awesome. So, so what other like projects do you have coming up then? Is there any other like more uh, personal projects that you're looking to do? I, 
Yeah, I've been uh, I did a Mercedes Benz commercial back in January, which was pretty cool. That's up on YouTube now. We had drones involved. We put a camera in the ice. The driver actually, uh, it's, re- it's really cool. Lake Winnipeg in Manitoba, uh, Mercedes has this little track where people can go and, and for the day or the hour, or whatever it is, they can go and, and drift on a frozen lake. And I thought that was pretty cool. So it's the experience of being there. So we had a drone, drone team out there. I was the DP. Again, it was about minus 23, so we can only go out in three, four-hour spurts before we had to go back in. So that was something we worked on this year. So to answer your question, I've been mo- mainly focusing on client projects. I've been doing some stuff with Disney and Facebook. Uh, there's a whole bunch more with communication companies. that I can- It's all 360 stuff? or All 360, yeah. yeah. I still work in the film industry, working you know on TV shows and films and that kind of thing, kind of balance it out, but it's – Seems like 2018 is the shift has kind of happened to more 360. I've, I've had a lot of people ask me and inquire about custom camera rigs. You know, you know cameras on people's bodies that have that POV that you're walking mm. through an environment. So there's a lot of that going on. And I have a robot that I built a couple of years ago, uh, motion control rig. So there's a lot of stuff we're going to experiment with creating stories. So you know. I knew the first five, so I've done this little first phase, I call it. So the first five years from 2013 to 2018, I was really focusing on the technology, the camera creation and and all that. Now my gears have shifted to storytelling and how can I really get inside somebody and make them feel what, you know, whatever the story is, I want them to feel. So I've been really researching a lot of the marketing side, the storytelling side, and how, how do we take it to the next level with 360? Because I think 360 video is getting a bad rap because there's a lot of people out there who are experimenting with it and trying. And this is not a diss to anybody because we're all learning. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, including myself. So that's not, I'm not putting anything down. I'm just saying we're, we're, the, we're the 1890s or I like to call it really the 50, 1950s. We're in the soap opera days where money is coming from the brands and we're experimenting and still figuring out the language and the grammar. So we're all still figuring out what works, what doesn't work. So I'm not a, I know a lot of uh, people are disgruntled or not happy with the current quality of 360 video. And I think now that's going to change because I think the, the spectacle has worn off from, from a creative standpoint. And I think everybody is now going to really focus on how do we tell a story and, and anyone who's out there who is listening and they're a traditional filmmaker, just know that 360 is a different animal. Take all your tools that you have from traditional filmmaking, just put them on the side and just realize you're going to have to have a mental shift and, and everything from post-production, sorry, from pre-production all the way to distribution. It's, it's a different uh, visualization and thought process. There's some similarities in terms of how you shoot and post and all that stuff. But I think once people make that shift and go, this is a different medium, right? Like we don't, we don't shoot the same, like we do in social media, like everyone's shooting for, you know, Instagram is shooting their, with a the phone sideways, but in filmmaking, we have our phone the other way. So just a small example, how we have to shoot for the medium. Um, so that's sort of my little, little tidbit for that. So I think I'm, I'm excited for this year. Cause I think a lot of really cool stuff's going to come out for 360 because the headsets are getting better, right? So people are actually can see what, you know, there's just that, that energy and excitement of, of new, uh, re- better resolution, quality and all that stuff. So. Yeah, so what's your favorite piece of 360 content out at the moment then? 
I'll be honest. I haven't had a lot of time to look at anything, uh, which is which is sad. I'm about to start looking at more content. I think there's the typical stuff that we've seen, like Invasion. Um, um, there's a lot of stuff from within. I'm a big fan of. There was a piece that I, I'm part of the Vancouver uh, judging the Vancouver VR Film Festival, and I okay. judged for some of the the videos that came in about a couple of weeks ago. And I'm fortunately can't remember the names uh, at the, at this point in time, but there's some interesting stuff where, where I think everyone's starting to, to push the VisFX side. So combining you know, some VisFX with location based capture. Um, I guess notes and blindness really kind of hit, yeah. hit a, hit a, hit a spot for me. Um, I'm, I think that, and once I understood where the, the I didn't I didn't know when the first time I saw it where the audio was actually where that came from. Now I understand these are actual real recordings. Mm. So I think that uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a great piece of work. Though. Yeah. So I think in, yeah, there's just you know again I'm I'm I've been really focused on sadly on on my content and helping other clients, but this because now I'm I don't know if I mentioned this but I'm now teaching. 360 filmmaking. So as of, I guess it's been almost a year now, I, I got a call from Emily Carr here in Vancouver, Emily Carr University to do a workshop. And now I've been forced to watch, watch all the content I can, but yeah, the, some of the content I've seen, I, um, has been mostly the, the location, the landscape based stuff versus any storytelling. You know, I've seen quite a bit of the within stuff, but yeah, I guess I really don't have a favorite right now other than what I mentioned. Yeah. No yeah. I mean, it's the, that's the thing at the moment because you, you like watch everything on say within, but yeah. you can go weeks without anything new sort of going on. So, yeah. And here's the thing too, is that when you work in the film industry, many people do, you're usually working 14 hours a day, five days a week. You actually don't really most people just don't even want to look at a TV screen on their days off. And I know that was my case in 2016. I was so in depth with my project that I actually turned off all the, the, the news feeds from all my channels, because as you know, in this industry, you know, it's one of the fastest growing technologies. There's an update almost, you know, major announcements almost weekly. I know some of them, like VR room, there's there's announcements three a day sometimes. So I just sometimes I just have to turn that off because it's just too much coming at me just to focus on what I'm doing. And that's sort of been the case for 2018. So that's why I couldn't really give you a solid answer there. So um, where can people find you online? Uh, perspectivefilms.ca is the company website. Mastering360.com if anyone's interested in, you know, learning about storytelling or how, to, how the workflow, the education. There's a lot of filmmakers out there who want to transition. So mastering 360 we have courses and workshops that are going to be available there. And I'm updating the chrispedic.com site. So that should be up in the next month or so. I've just taken it down just because there's so much, you know, it's, it's quite a bit old. There's not a lot of new information on there. Uh, my email is chris.bedic at perspectivefilms.ca. Anyone can send me a shout, just send me an email. Awesome. I'll put all links up on the uh on the notes when it goes out and stuff. But uh yeah, no, it's great. Thank you for thank you for chatting to me. My pleasure. Thank you.
Thanks again to Chris for taking the time to chat with me. Links to everything mentioned will be in the show notes so you can check out his work and keep up to date with his future projects. Now, I've started posting some of my own 360 work onto Veer, both personal and commercial projects. So if you fancy checking those out, you can search Daniel K. Hatton or We Are Endeavour with just a VR at the end there. Alternatively, you just click on the links in the show notes. If you yourself have an interest in making your own 360 videos, I would absolutely recommend signing up to Veer's platform. It's easy to upload, uh, you get useful analytics, and let's face it, the most important thing, a high number of views without actively promoting your video, uh, like more than what you'd get if you was to post it on YouTube without a substantial following anyway. Um, so it's definitely worth a look. And don't forget, if you're an independent 360 or VR creator and want to come and chat about your work on the podcast, drop me an email at vrsidechats at gmail.com. You can also follow at vrsidechats on Facebook and Twitter. And me personally, I'm on all the main social medias as well, if you're interested. Bit of a shameless plug there. At Daniel K. Hatton. So thanks again for listening, and I shall see you next week. <laughs>